0: Hey everybody! This is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat podcast, powered by the Sealus Media Podcast Network. I am joined, as always, by a very happy Alex Barth because EA Sports announced today that NCAA football is coming back. What for 2021? I'm assuming. No, it's going to be it's going to be two or three years
1: because they're going to try oh. to wait wait it out so they can get the college licensing. But uh, it's a very good day. It's a very it's good day, a very day in the world of football. For,
0: for gamers, we won't say what Alex said before we started recording the podcast. Wow. But I do want to talk about the NCAA football because both of me and Alex are Ithaca College Bombers. I don't know if people know that, that we we're both yeah. grads. And we have the Cortica Jug against Cortland, which is one of the biggest football games in Division Three football. The biggest, biggest little
1: game in the nation. Uh,
0: the biggest in our opinion, anyways. And my four years... At Ithaca, we did not win the Cortica Jug any of the four years, I don't believe. that I was No, they there. won it your
1: freshman year. Okay, so we're... a year older than me. They lost it all four of my years.
0: So we were one in three, and uh, we went on some insane run where we were like one and nine in the last ten or something like that. After dominating the series, yes. historically. Yes, <laughs> you got to put that in there. And uh, I will never forget my junior year. We lost on a botched field. No, that was
1: your senior year. It was my junior year.
0: It was my junior my senior no, year. No, no, it was my High junior Mary. year,
1: I, Evan. I was there. I was on the sideline. I was right there when it happened. It okay, is but the when were, day.
0: when was the Hail Mary? There was a there was a that would have been
1: your junior year. The Hail Oh, were you going to say the Hail Mary?
0: Yeah. So that okay, so maybe I just got those back. The Hail Mary
1: was your junior year. Yeah. Okay.
0: So junior year and this is just—I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting in the stands at at a, what's the stadium called? A Butterfield. Butterfield Stadium, right? Of course. And Green I'm sitting, Butterfield,
1: legendary coach.
0: I'm sitting there in the stadium, and I think they ran cover three, or maybe like man cover three with some match going on at the, on the outside. But anyways, they had one on one on the outside with ten seconds left in the game, with seventy yards to go for a touchdown to, to win the game. And they just throw a jump ball to their tallest wide receiver. Our guy kind of stumbled a little bit, if I remember correctly, and, and couldn't defend defend the pass, and then he fell to the ground, so he couldn't make the tackle afterwards. So you run cover three, uh, it was similar to that last play of the half against Green Bay right. for Tampa Bay, where you're thinking to yourself, where's the deep safeties? You know, where's the help over the top? No help over the top. They lose that game. And and it's,
1: it is weird. I'll just, I'll just, cause I was the sideline reporter, I was there, I remember, um the, the Ithaca's corner. I mean, Mike Volcano he was a nice kid, good D three football. player. He was player. in my
0: class. He was a great yeah. Kid. yeah, good dude.
1: The the guy, the receiver for Cortland was named John Babin. He was only playing D three because he tore his ACL in high school, and he 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 was gonna go. He was gonna get drafted out of D three, but he tore his ACL twice in college. Like this kid, I don't think he he got to a couple like OTAs. I don't think he ever made it. But this was like a legitimate – he was a borderline NFL wide receiver.
0: Which makes it even crazier that they right. didn't give Mike Volcano any help on that one play where they only had one option, and that was to run, a, you know, Hail Mary, four verticals, right. whatever you want to call it, and they had no help over the top. Then my senior year, we come Can I back, tell this one? You I can tell it. Like Go ahead. Because well, I, I was
1: the sideline reporter. That yeah, year, you know this I'm,
0: much better than I do.
1: I am literally standing right next to the end zone. You can see me on the clip. Um, So – Ithaca's up three. They they kick the ball off. They score to go up three. They kicked the ball off with like 45 seconds left. Cortland has no timeouts, and we're like, all right, this game's over. We're finally going to win. We lost three in a row. We had that painful loss the year before. Cortland drives the ball down the field, right in the final seconds, and they they get to a fourth down, and it was it was a pretty good drive. And you think like, okay, they're going to get a field goal. We're going to overtime, whatever. Again, there's no timeouts left. It's like 15 seconds. All of a sudden, you kind of look at the formation. The holder didn't come out on the field for the field goal. He forgot to come out on the field. The third-string linebacker runs out to get the hold, right? There's like two seconds left on the clock, but you're thinking they can't get this off. Ithaca's going to win. It's a bad snap. The the holder, third-string linebacker, picks it up, breaks two tackles, rolls out to his left, and throws it to a lineman. For the game-winning touchdown, as the clock expired, you can see me if you look up uh uh "Cortica 2014" on YouTube. Um, you can see me throw my microphone up in the air and walk away. <laughs> the most unreal ending to a football game I've ever seen at any level.
0: I actually think that both endings made it to Sports Center because they were that. We let off. I remember we let off Sports Center 2014, the, the one with the field goal. Yeah, that
1: was the first clip they showed on Sports Center.
0: I I was with a group of people at the game, and half of the group was devastated. Half of the group was rolling on the ground laughing. Uh We didn't really know which way to go. I mean, it was... I couldn't, I I just, I, what what else can you do? You know, you got, you got to laugh it off at that point. We're not Alabama. This is not the national championship game. It's important to us. It's important to us. It meant a
1: lot to a lot of
0: people. Yeah. It meant a lot to a lot of people. That's a fair statement, but that's our little story about our Ithaca college days. And man, oh man, was that those games painful every single year. It kind of made you feel as a Patriots fan, you weren't used to that with your football team, right? Right. You weren't used to losing games like that in humiliating fashion. So it was definitely a down-to-earth moment. Uh, Let's get to the real stuff though, on the pod. We're going to talk about some of the leftovers from the weekend, the Senior Bowl, the Matthew Stafford trade. Then we're going to get into a little bit of a Super Bowl preview and uh, talk about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I wanted to start with the Senior Bowl and just any leftover thoughts. We've talked about this a couple of times already, but any leftover thoughts from Saturday's game, Alex?
1: Yeah, um I'll kind of just move past the Mac Jones stuff because I feel like we've talked about that plenty yeah. and we all know he had a good week. Uh, Des Fitzpatrick is the guy for me that that I'm really excited about, and and I know we've talked about him a little bit, but we haven't talked since the game. He was the leading receiver in that game, six catches, 90 yards, could have had a, another big one. He could have had like a 50-yard touchdown too, but Felipe Franks missed him by about 15 yards. He's supposed to be undrafted right now. He's a consensus undrafted player, and I'm not saying that the Senior Bowl kind of cured all of his concerns. The biggest issue with him is consistency. He'd be a game-breaker for three games at Louisville and then disappear for three games. One strong week doesn't wipe that out. I'm not saying, you know, I'd take him in the first round, but, you know, you look at a guy like Terry McLaurin who went, I think, on day three, right? Um, Or even yeah. a guy like Jacoby Myers. And there is a lot of Jacoby Myers game, I think, in Des Fitzpatrick. And these guys have proven to be, be difference makers. And I think Des Fitzpatrick can be that guy in this draft that some team's going to get a real treat on day three. He's he's 200 pounds, but he gets in and out of his breaks, in and out of his cuts like a guy, you know, significantly smaller, he can create separation. When he doesn't, he is an act to use his size to kind of body out defenders. He's not quite a burner, but he's surprisingly fast for a guy his size. He looks like a burner because you don't expect a guy his size to move as quick as he does. So that's a guy, you know, as we kind of look at some of these day three picks, because the Patriots, everybody talks about this draft being crucial in the top 50 for the Patriots, and it is. But I don't You know, I think they need to hit on some non-top 50 picks this year, too. Hit on some day three picks. And, you know, another wide receiver could certainly help. So I'm just, you know, Des Fitzpatrick is a guy. uh, I hope we hear that name a lot tied to the Patriots in the the coming months because I think he could be, you know, a a guy that could really uh, become a, a solid NFL player.
0: My, my takeaway was the same sort of approach, not necessarily a specific player, but this group of wide receivers that was down in Mobile last week, we didn't even see Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle or Rashad Bateman, which are some of the top names in the wide receiver class. And there's still a lot of really good wide receivers that played in that senior bowl game. You know, you mentioned, uh, Fitzpatrick, obviously Amari Rogers, Nico Collins, Shay Smith, Kate Johnson. I mean, the list goes on and on. Cornell Powell. Uh, another Clemson guy the Patriots to me I think the one of the biggest misses of the draft last year because they had a solid draft last year you know let's face it they did have a, a really solid draft last year but the fact that they didn't take one of those fifth sixth seventh round flyers on one of these wide receivers in these loaded loaded wide receiver classes where there's probably so much value on day three wide receiver picks because of how many wide receivers are going early in these drafts that, I think, was a little bit of a miss, and I think they can come back and make up for that. It's not necessarily, I would love to see them go out and add a Devontae Smith, go out and add a Kadarius Tony and, and get a real difference maker. But even if they don't, then getting somebody in that day three range that can still come in and be an impact player, like a Terry McLaurin is a great example, I think that that's such a... That's something that they really should be entertaining because this group is really, really deep. Daniel Jeremiah has 18 wide receivers in his top 100 right now in the NFL draft in 2021. That is a big number. And and the Patriots need to, in my, my mind, whether it's a first-round guy, a second-round guy, it doesn't even really make a difference to me. They just need to get somebody in here other than the group that they already have from the draft that can come in here and maybe make a difference and make some buzz and and, and draw our attention in training camp in August. And that this group that was down there in Mobile is a really great example of that because Fitzpatrick was a guy that was a little bit underrated. Amari Rogers went out there and had a great game as well. I think that there is a lot of talent still there if you want to go that direction. What about the game MVP Kellen Mond? I know you're not very high on him, but people are going to talk about him, ask about him. He's one of those players that checks all those kind of patriot-like boxes. 3-year starter, uh you know TDDI and INT ratio is solid. He's a high IQ kind of cerebral type of player by most accounts. And he does throw a decent ball and has some of that athleticism too. He's not necessarily Lamar Jackson, but he can move Around as well,
1: yeah. You know, I mean, he won the MVP. To say he had a bad week, I think it wouldn't be fair. Uh, he he definitely was was in the plus column, but you know, I look at him. The accuracy still a question. I wasn't blown away by his anticipation, and I know that. It's tough in an all-star game, right? You've never really thrown to these guys before, so right. the timing routes can be a little tough, but, and I thought all the quarterbacks struggled with it, to be fair. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really see him anticipating throws. I didn't see him anticipating guys getting open. I didn't see him throwing before breaks as much as I would have liked. And I just think, you know, a guy like that who has the physical traits, but it, it is still kind of raw, that's Sidham to me. That's Jared Sidham. I mean, they're not the Jared same. He
0: is a lot like Jared Sidham. He he has a lot of the same kind of right. pedigree as Jared Sidham.
1: So if you, if you're convinced Jared Sidham isn't the next guy and you're going to trade him and then draft Kellen Mond, I mean, that's not like, that's fine. If you want to try that again, but to go out and draft Kellen Mond and say, this is the next guy, you just tried that and it didn't work. Right. So I'm fine with him being the next project if if that's the route they want to go. But I didn't see enough from him that I'm like, oh, they don't need to take Mac Jones in the first round. Oh, they don't need to go out and sign Jacoby Brissett. Like he can he can be somebody that you can fully build the team around. Like I'm not convinced yet. I would need to see a year or two of him in camp, in preseason games, and some relief work. Basically, I would need to see him in the role we've seen Stidham for the past two years before I'm comfortable with that. And if that's the case, you can't bypass adding a quarterback if he's the only guy you add.
0: Right. And I also think with Kelamon, you mentioned that his anticipation and that was what I saw with him when I watched his college tape was a, a little bit of a slow trigger finger at times, staring down re unable to get the full progression. And then I was really surprised to hear a lot of the coaches that worked with him uh, down at the Senior Bowl, a lot of guys that scouted him down at the Senior Bowl saying that this is a high IQ smart. Football player. And I was like, well, that doesn't necessarily say that on tape. Like I, I, when I watch a guy on tape, I don't necessarily know all those types of intangible things. What's he like in the film room? What's he like in the meeting room? You know, you don't necessarily know. But when you watch him play, he is the type of guy that does stick onto a read every once in a while and he does hold the ball in the pocket for too long and he takes too many sacks and his feel for pressure and his understanding of how to handle pressure is not always the best. And when he does get into a muddied pocket, he struggles. But with that being said, that touchdown pass to Amari Rogers where he holds the safety in the middle of the field and comes back to the seam to Amari Rogers and fits it between two defenders, that's an NFL throw. Right. That that's a throw that you can't teach. That's a great arm talent type of throw. And if he makes enough of those and he stacks enough of those together, then you can see yourself talking into a mid round pick. On Kellen Munn. I think what he did this week down at the Senior Bowl is certainly solidify himself as the top quarterback in the next wave of quarterbacks. Oh, for sure. The first six, right? You're not going to take now. You're not going to take Jamie Newman over him. You're not taking Ian Book over him. You're not taking. You, should take, just, just, you shouldn't take Ian Book
1: over anybody. I'm just going right. to throw that out there. But
0: you understand what I'm saying? No, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I, I
1: will. You know, Kellen right. Mond is
0: the next guy.
1: Yeah, just in, and in his defense, cause we talked about the anticipation. I'm standing by that opinion, but it is tough, especially for college guys when they have to change coaches. And he got to campus in 2017. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher comes in in 2018 at Texas A&M. So he did have a few years in, in Jimbo's system. Um but obviously the 2020 tape is weird just because of, of COVID and everything. So, you know, that, that can be, that can be tough. But at the same time, if you're an NFL team looking at that, how did he adjust to to, to a change in coaching because i believe he did play as a freshman so um i i i will throw that caveat on that take but yeah like you said i think he's he's solidly the leader you can call him group b i've seen some people call them group c because trevor lawrence is kind of his own thing um but that you know the top 6 there's a top 6 from from uh, uh lawrence to trask and then Mond, I think, has established himself as, as quarterback seven. He's, yeah, exactly. He's, 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 so he's solidly in the second group. He's solidly in it, not in the top six, but he's at the top of seven plus.
0: Yeah. And and it's actually a, a good stat. And I wish I had it right in front of me, but I believe it's in the last five Patriot quarterbacks that they have drafted have all been seniors and they've all been multi-year starters as well. So the majority I, of them have been SEC guys too. That That's true too, but it's funny that. A lot of these guys that the Patriots like to draft at that position, they really emphasize experience. You know, that's yeah. a really important trait for them. And a guy like a Trey Lance is a one year starter. Mac Jones is a one and a half, you know, almost two full years as a starter. So maybe Mac Jones checks that box enough for them but a guy that's a senior that's been around the block that's been in Jimbo Fisher's system for a couple of years which is an NFL pro style system it's not like he's out there running air raid RPO type of concepts all the time this is a pro style system that Jimbo runs with Texas A&M he checks a lot of those mid-round Patriots boxes so definitely be on the lookout for Kellen Mond in the veteran quarterback market the follow up yeah. from the Matthew Stafford trade. So I think what was really interesting about this trade and we were texting all day on Saturday when it sort of felt like this trade was coming by the end of the weekend and it, we were talking about Nobody was talking about the Rams, first of yeah. all. As as And it sounds like the deal, according to Albert Breer, was done with the Carolina Panthers, and then the Rams swept in at the last second and upped their offer and were able to steal away Matthew Stafford from the Carolina Panthers, who were actually going to give number eight in the draft for Matthew Stafford. So we talked about Carolina. We talked about San Francisco. We talked about teams ahead of the Patriots with draft picks. But I think what you realized is, is that these trades are becoming more and more like – like basketball trades where the other team might not get an equal player back. Like Matthew Stafford is clearly better than Jared Goff and is the best player in the trade, but it's kind of like you trade Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan, right? You need to get somebody back to replace the guy that you're trading away. And, And I think that's interesting for the Patriots because they don't have the quarterback on the roster currently to make that trade happen with, you know, another, even if it's a lesser quarterback, somebody that can start games for the next team so that they don't have to draft the guy right away or they can develop the guy that they draft for a little while.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't qualify it like that.
0: I I don't think the Lions
1: viewed it as, you know, we're getting off to, I, I think there, there were, this was essentially two trades. I think it was Matthew Stafford for a first and a third and a first round pick to take on Jared Goff's contract. I, I don't know that the Lions view – I mean, I yes, he's the bridge guy. I, I I can't say they don't view him as the bridge guy, but, you know, I I don't think they, they went into this – like, I don't think they looked at it as like, yeah, we can get the eighth overall pick or we can get Jared Goff. I think it was more of a we can get one pick or we can get two picks, and they saw Jared Goff simply as the path to a second first-round pick. They took the long play with this. They could have moved up to seven, and – taking a the quarterback there and there you go and and that's not necessarily the wrong answer here but what they've now done is by adding this second uh, uh first round pick they have the ammunition where they're going to be bad this year they're going to be bad they they they'll be in the conversation for the first overall pick i don't know if they get it but they'll be in the conversation but now you're going to have a top 10 pick next year as one of your two picks and two picks the year after that you talked about the nba the comparison i keep making is is there a a, sim, a similar spot to where the celtics have been or where the rockets are now right cuz the rams are like the nets where if they like a quarterback next year outside of maybe you don't get one one but they have the ammunition to trade up to the second pick if they want they are basically going to have their pick of the quarterback class next year you don't get that at 7 right if you get the or whatever that carolina pick is like you don't have that Maybe if they somehow work out seven and nine, they can do it this year, but maybe they don't like the class this year. They have the ammunition now to move up to get the quarterback they want next year. Then you can get Goff's contract off the books. That frees up a ton of money. I don't look at this as, oh, we're still going to have a competent quarterback. I look at it as they had a chance for one first-round pick immediately or two first-round picks down the road, and they chose the delayed gratification. Jared Goff just happened to be the vehicle that allowed that to happen.
0: That's a fair point. The reason why I structured it the way I did was because I feel like the Lions, even if they do want to be back in the top 10 next year, felt like they needed somebody to start games from them on week one. Like, who's going to be our week one starter if we trade Matthew Stafford and we don't get a quarterback back? And maybe this might be too far down the road. Their scouting department, their front office, might not have made any decisions on the draft class yet. But let's say Trey, uh, Trey Lance is their guy right? Let's say they really right. like Trey Lance, and that's who they want to target in the draft. Even though they have Jared Goff now, they're kind of putting out there, the tealies they're putting out there that they're going to be off a quarterback for this year, and they're going to see if they can make Jared Goff work. They, they're actually a lot higher on Jared Goff. If you believe the reports that have come out, they believe Jared Goff is better than people on the outside, people on Twitter, well, just armchair GMs. They think that he's better than, than we all think he is. Regardless of that, they it does delay maybe they can go best player available now at 7 and and take a great wide receiver or take penny c will or well, someone like that so that was kind of my thought how many teams we
1: we've kind of seen the structure with rebuilding teams where they take the left tackle the first year and right. then the quarterback the next year and that that to me is yes. the position they're in
0: The Jets took Micah Beckton last year, and it sounds like they might take a quarterback at number two this year. And I maybe that is the category that they're in. I think that getting Jared Goff back as an asset to start games for them in 2021 was something that did make – was intriguing to them. And it was more intriguing than anything the Patriots obviously could have offered. But I think the ultimate point here is getting back to the Patriots – Where is the veteran quarterback trade for the Patriots? Is there a veteran quarterback trade for the Patriots? Because right now, when you look at this landscape, the Rams blew them out of the water for Matthew Stafford. The rumors are for Deshaun Watson, it's going to take either four first-round picks or that crazy John McClain proposal that's out there, which is two firsts, two seconds, and two stud players under contract, right? The, those are the two kind of packages that are being looked at right now for Deshaun Watson. If you believe right now on, you know, as we taped this on February 2nd, Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott are not on the trade block right now. And in those, you're in those so, not believing in Dak. I, I know, I know. Yeah. But ultimately where's the trade for the Patriots to bring in a veteran quarterback. I'm not saying they have to, I'm not saying that's necessarily the only route they can go, but if we're talking about that, where is the move? Yeah, and I, I mean,
1: I again, I'm not – well, Dak wouldn't be a trade if he did hypothetically become available because the whole point is
0: his contract's up. I would be absolutely shocked if they just let Dak hit free agency and and didn't get anything back. If they tag him again and then move him. Oh, they could tag and trade. You're right. right. They're not going to just let him walk for a third-round comp pick. No way. But, but yeah, it's hard to see
1: where it is. Belichick's not going to take on that Kirk Cousins contract. I also just don't think he'd want Kirk Cousins. That one's been floated. I I, I still don't. For a number of reasons, Garoppolo still doesn't make sense to me. Some of them I I don't think Bill would agree with, but the 49ers are not going to give up Jimmy Garoppolo that's not on the table like they have to have if Stafford goes to San Francisco we're talking about it and it's a real conversation right. but they they're not they are not the team their record reflected last year they had a ton of injuries they believe they can compete they are not going to take a step backwards at quarterback just for the take of staking, uh, sake of taking a step backwards the guy has to be there i i i don't know that the trade does exist you you never know what the what the pinballs or what the what the pinball with the domino situation is going to be from the Watson trade, right? Does he get sent to the Jets and Darnold's not a part of the return? Right? Does he get sent to the Dolphins and too is not a part of the return? Of course, then you're 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 dealing with trading in the division, which is a mess. Some people have floated Cleveland as a dark horse for Deshaun Watson. We know the Patriots like Baker Mayfield, again, that's way out there. That may be more of a stretch than Dak. But right. if you want to talk about if you want to try to find a veteran quarterback trade for the Patriots, this is what we have to do. This is where we have to go. You have to talk about the Sam Darnolds. You have to talk about the Baker Mayfields. Uh, that, that's, that's the path right now. If they want to make that veteran trade, barring something huge, which again would be Deshaun Watson landing in, in, uh, a, a unsuspected, a, a landing spot, the, the 49ers moving up into the top three in the draft, something like that. It's going to, uh, Dak Prescott getting franchise tagged. It's going to take something major for that trade to present itself for the Patriots. I think right now we're looking at free agency and we're looking at the draft and that's it.
0: That's the way I'm looking at it too, because the Patriots do not have the war chest of assets as some of these other teams have. Miami, for example, has three and 18 and Tua in this draft to trade to Houston for Deshaun Watson, well, or so it, whoever it ends up being, whether it's, it's Deshaun or Dak right. or Rogers or whatever.
1: It's tricky. They do have... The asset but the problem is any team they have one asset any team going and we've talked about this any team going into a rebuild is trading a quarterback is going into a rebuild so when stefan gilmore a 30-year-old corner who you need to pay is your best trade chip that makes it tricky again if you get one of these extreme scenarios where where the cowboys move on from Dak because they like somebody in the draft maybe that makes sense if if watson does somehow end up in cleveland then maybe, you know, Gilmore for Baker, that actually does make sense. But again, you're going into extreme territory here. Their best tradable asset is somebody you have to trade to an established team. And what do established teams have, Evan? Quarterbacks. But what giving up quarterbacks I'm
0: glad you brought up Stefan Gilmore because this is my this is my domino here. Okay. Is you trade Stephon Gilmore to a playoff team for Mm -hmm. another first round pick. That's the move, right? Is and then you flip it. Right, because then you can. So basically, you need to take two steps to get to the quarterback, right? So yeah. you you take you have fifteen, which is not a. It's a it's a decent asset, but it's not a great one, right? So you can right. take fifteen, and let's say they can trade Stefan Gilmore to wherever, right? One of these playoff teams, right. New Orleans, Green Bay, I, I don't know, wherever, and then you use fifteen and twenty-seven to go and get your quarterback whether it's a veteran trade or a trade up in the draft, that seems to be the best kind of path is that you have to, you can't, put Stefan Gilmore in the trade for the quarterback because the team right. like Fred doesn't want that asset. But maybe you can flip Stephon Gilmore for a pick and then use that pick in a trade to get your QB. That, to me, seems to be the only scenario where I can see the Patriots having enough ammo to get into some of these bigger quarterback names in the veteran market. And that is going to be a, a really interesting sort of development is if the Patriots can flip Stephon Gilmore for a top 32 pick, you know, somewhere in that 20 to 32 range with one of the playoff teams, then maybe we can start talking about, even though I still think it's not really the most likely scenario, m- then maybe you can t- start talking about a Deshaun Watson, or then maybe you can start talking about them being able to trade up into the top 10 to draft a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or something like that that's the move to me is that you got to find somebody to take Gilmore and get a great asset back for Gilmore that you can then, you know, kind of package together with 15 to move up or do what you want with the quarterback position. See, I just think, and I I wouldn't hate it
1: if that was their plan. Like I don't disagree with anything you said, but I just think they have so many needs that combining assets like that, right? You're essentially shrinking your assets. That's the less you can do, right? If you use, Let's say you trade Gilmore for for to team X, right? The 25th pick, trade 20 or that's Jacksonville, but whatever. You trade 25 and 15 up to get 8, you take Trey Lance, okay? How are you getting Trey Lance, that top weapon? Cuz again, we for it. We had this argument right but free agency's not guaranteed and whatever you I'll think of the Stafford it. report about not wanting to come to New England, there's an argument to be made there. You know, I'm, you know, for me it's get the quarterback at 15, trade Gilmore for an established pass catcher. Right? right. Like that's how I'm looking at it. I again, there's w- much worse results to this offseason than what you laid out. I'm not saying it's bad, but I just look at that and when you start combining assets, you're you're kind of, you know, you're you're talking about quality over quantity when they really need a balance. You know, you can't add one big piece and call this offseason success, even if it's Deshaun Watson. Well, it, 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 that that changed – I guess Watson's the outlier here because that changed right. the dynamics of free agency. But, you know, right. even if it's Dak, if you add just Dak and nobody else, it's hard to say that you really had the offseason you needed to have. If it's a rookie quarterback, you certainly can't say that. So I, I, I'm very hesitant to kind of turn 15 – and Gilmore into one asset, because I think you can get two quality players, whether you trade 15 or you pick there, whatever, you know, I'm fine packaging 15 with other picks and moving up, but those are your two biggest assets this offseason, or Gilmore and that 15th pick. If you combine them, you better get Watson. You really need a for sure home run because you're not giving yourself much wiggle room after that move.
0: So let me, let me present this question then, because okay. I do agree with a lot of things that you said that, that condensing those assets just for the quarterback is a lot. Are the Patriots able to do this in one offseason? Because part of me feels like when you look at this, that maybe as much as it would stink to have another seven and nine, six and 10 type of season next year, and maybe you watch Cam Newton again for another year. And I know a lot of fans are out on that and I can understand. I, I really can't, but maybe the best path for this team this year is to build the roster up take a, the best player available at 15 use gilmore as a trade chip to add another first round pick to take another player at at that position and then next offseason, you go after your quarterback, because now maybe you have Jalen Waddle and, and a tight end and, you know, yeah. a couple of other pieces that maybe can attract Because Matthew Stafford, point blank, did not want to come here. And it was moving beyond just Matt Patricia. Yeah, and yeah the, I think a lot of it. I
1: believe Bolin. I think a lot of it was Patricia. but I think
0: about 90% of it was. But I think there's a lot of conversation, too, of who's he going to throw to? You know who's turning sure. around, and there are some elements that you have to t- sort of take that into account. And similarly for these pass catchers, who's throwing me the football? So maybe this is. In that sense, going to have to be almost forced in their hand into a, a multi-year rebuild. I'm not saying a five-year rebuild. I'm just saying maybe this off-season you really focus on building up the front seven on the defense, getting some pass catch, young pass-catching talent on the offense, and then maybe it's next off-season where they really make their big move at quarterback. And also, let's not forget next off-season. It might be even more likely that some of these veteran QBs that we didn't haven't really talked that much about might be on the move. Aaron Rodgers is not on the move in 2021, I don't think. But once we get into 2022 and Jordan Love starts to get into year three of his contract as a, on a rookie deal, then I think that conversation becomes a little bit more real about Aaron Rodgers moving. We know that. Bill Belichick and Aaron Rodgers have a mutual admiration society thing going on. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just saying maybe by the time you get to that point next offseason where you're back in this seat right again looking for that quarterback, you have a much better roster around the guy to attract mirror
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the question is kind of how do you want to handle it? I do like the idea of trading Gilmore for a first and making two first-round picks. Me too. That,
0: this team has so many holes that that's a really good because then you can get your pass catcher at one spot and you can get your front seven player maybe at another spot and and you can have a really good kind of building block around the QB. So I just think can that like can you survive
1: another year like you just had? Like is that? Is, yeah. <laughs> excuse and are they going? Is be that going to turn player? free agents off even more to yeah. this team? Is it? You know, is it going to make it tougher to get a quarterback? I, I think if if you have the move this year, you make it this year. They, it might have to be a two year thing. Like it might not be up to them. But there's also, I mean, there, there's been multiple reports, and it's guys like Reese, it, 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 You know, the guys that are aren't are they're not wrong. They're never wrong, saying that the Patriots are going to be uncharacteri- uncharacteristically aggressive this offseason. Yeah. That's not a two year rebuild. That is, they're going to try to put this whole thing together at once. And I think there is a way to do it. Like,
0: I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I just don't see the veteran quarterback move. And I feel like trading a valuable asset. I don't know if they would have to trade a valuable asset for Jimmy G, but let's just assume the Niners get an upgrade over Jimmy G and that he ends up becoming available. Is that really the guy that we want? You know, is that really the guy that you should be hitching your wagon to no. long term? So, That's my question is, can they do better at the quarterback position next offseason after they made the roster better this year? Maybe they make the roster a little bit better again next year this time or, you know, March, the beginning of free agency. They're able to sign some, a couple of guys. They're able to get a young wide receiver in here that actually makes an impact. The question that I have with that method is because Bill Belichick coached the COVID team to seven and nine with Cam Newton as a starting quarterback is what's that pick going to look like in 2022, right? Are they going to have a good pick in 2022 or is Bill going to coach them out of it where they're picking 15th again, or they're picking 18th or something like that?
1: Yeah. And the worst thing you can be in the national football league is seven and nine without a quarterback. That is the absolute worst thing you can be. I think some of it depends on what they think of the draft, right? I think Bill kind of can look at, You know, Look at the Chargers last year, and yeah, they didn't win a ton of games, but how many games were they in that they – I think until that game they got blown out by the Patriots, every single one of their games had been a one-score game.
0: Yeah. And Anthony
1: Lynn was obviously not a great game management coach. So, you know, I wonder if Bill looks at that and kind of says, you know, I can win with a rookie quarterback because if Anthony Lynn could do what he did, I can fix some of those late-game mistakes, and I can get 10-11 wins out of a competitive rookie quarterback. Now, the question is – Does he see a Justin Herbert in his draft? And we don't know. Does he think Mac Jones can be that guy? Does he think Trey Lance can be that guy? If he does, he should give up what it takes to go get him, right? If if, if you have to combine the assets, you should do it because you don't know what the next year draft looks like. But I don't think it has to be – I don't think the answer to turning it around right away is a veteran quarterback. In fact, I think a veteran quarterback to me is a white flag from Bill – on the 2021 season, if they bring it outside of Dak, Deshaun, Rogers, right? The, 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 the unrealistic ones. If it's Jimmy, if it's uh Alex Smith, if it's Tyrod Taylor, if it's any my one of Marcus these, Marcus Mariota, friends, Marcus Mariota, if it's Cam Newton again, that's a white flag. That to me is Bill saying, all right, we're going to do this again. We're going to run it back. Get ready for another seven to nine season. If there, it, I, I think if he sees a Justin Herbert type, not the, the, the prototype, not the mold player, but if he sees a quarterback that he thinks, I can have him in the position Herbert was last year, I can win with this guy, then that's the move. And that's, look, when we talk about a rebuild and we talk about a reset, I'm not saying that, you know, they draft a quarterback they their Super Bowl contenders next year. But I don't think it's unrealistic if they get the right guy, if Bill has the guy he believes in and he is correct, to think that if they go out and they get that guy, they can't compete for the division next
0: year. I don't think that's impossible. I don't think it's impossible either. I just look at the way the teams have done this in the past, and I think the four teams that made it to the conference championship weekend are great examples of it. Really three teams, obviously. The Packers are kind of their own thing. But the Bucks were a team that was ready-made for Tom Brady to just come in there and go on a Super Bowl run, right? They had Mike Evans. They had Chris Godwin. They had the defense building up on the other side of the ball, multiple first-round picks on defense. And they kind of built up the entire roster, two through 53, waiting for the one, right, Right, waiting for the quarterback. They get their quarterback, they hit the ground running. The Kansas City Chiefs, they had Alex Smith for a couple of years, obviously. They get Tyreek Hill, they get Travis Kelsey in the building. They kind of build up their culture and build up their offensive system. Then they drop Patrick Mahomes in there, and now we're in back-to-back Super Bowl, three straight trips to the title game. To me, I just don't know if this happens in one offseason because the Patriots are not going to land Deshaun Watson. They're not going to land Aaron Rodgers, where those types of guys go from 7-9 and nine to 12-4 and four automatically, right? I don't know if they have that move in the arsenal right now because I don't know if they have the assets or even if those guys are on the move. I don't even know if those guys are available. But at the, at the same time, I would say
1: go back another year and you had the San Francisco 49ers, who were a good team with a net-neutral quarterback. You had the Tennessee Titans, who got to the Final Four, who were a good team with a net-neutral quarterback.
0: You can do it that way, but that way you need to still build up the roster, right? You know, you put right. still a lot better around the QB.
1: What My point was, if the Patriots are going to be aggressive this offseason, right, and they have all this cap space, they're going to have $60 million, could be up to $80 million based on retirements. And if they trade Gilmore, they're going to have as much cash base as anybody in the NFL, you also have this very unprecedented, uh, you're going to have this very unprecedented string of good quality players getting released because more teams than ever are opening the offseason over the salary cap. And teams are going to have to release good players. Yeah. That is where Bill Belichick thrives. I trust I him. And that outside of the quarterback position, he has been great at that historically, taking other teams' cast offs and turning them into to I mean he turned Kyle Van Noy into a pro bowler. I not that Kyle Van Noy is a bad player, but my point was he was essentially given away by the Detroit Lions and and uh or sorry by the yeah In by turn, the Lions yeah, by and, tra- right. and, and, and turned into a Pro Bowler, right? A, a, a number of guys like that. He's just the first one that pops into my mind. My point being I absolutely trust Bill Belichick if he's going to be aggressive as guys like Mike Reese have reported to build up the rest of this roster this offseason. And I think it's easier to do if he has a rookie quarterback. So I look at a team like the Niners. I look at a team like the Titans. I look at a team like not this year's Bills but last year's Bills who managed to get to the playoffs despite Josh Allen being erratic. And they, the Patriots can be that. They can get there. They can't totally bust on the quarterback pick. And, again, they, they could maybe do it. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what they can do with Cam Newton because he turns the ball over too much. I don't know if they can do with Jimmy Garoppolo because he's not healthy enough. Can they do it with an Alex Smith? Can they do it with a Tyrod Taylor? Sure.
0: Mariota. Mariota, sure.
1: And I, I, by the way, I get the irony of me saying, oh, look at the Niners who had Jimmy G a quarterback, but the Patriots can't do the same thing with Jimmy G. That was Jimmy G's one healthy season of his career. Right. You can't count on that. So, but if you do it with a rookie quarterback, you get the two where you're almost back where you were with Brady in the early 2000s and that those teams didn't win the Super Bowl because of Tom Brady. He was a part of it, but he got to kind of grow and learn the game when he had a dominant, dominant veteran defense on the other side of the ball, and that certainly helped. Brady will tell you that helped. If you bring in a rookie quarterback and then just spend like crazy and jack up the rest of the roster right away, you can compete with a net-neutral quarterback in that strong roster, and then when those guys move on and they age out and those contracts expire, you're going to have a young quarterback who's had winning experience, who's played on competitive teams, and that's certainly worth something. So that, to me, is the path. Take the quarterback. If you want to trade Gilmore and then draft Kadarius, Tony, Jalen Waddle, whoever, like, fine. But I think spending, like, Bill opening up the first book and spending money, they should be the top spending team in free agency. If you do that, you can be competitive without Deshaun Watson, without Dak Prescott. Are you going to be a Super Bowl favorite? No but you can be in the conversation for the division. You can host a playoff game. Uh, you could realistically win a playoff game maybe too with that blueprint.
0: Yeah, and it's not a bad blueprint to have. And I think that the point that you made about guys getting cut from other teams or not being able to re-sign all their players because of the salary cap situation is really key. I would expect to see a very low amount of franchise tags this year because teams don't have the cap space right. to be tagging people left and right. So I think there are going to be a ton of guys – an in a, in a unprecedented off season for player movement that we're headed towards that are going to be guys that in the past would probably like. I think Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay is a great example. In the past, Chris Godwin would be a great candidate for the at least the franchise tag, maybe the transition tag. The Bucks don't might not be able to afford to tag him. You know, they might not be able to afford yeah. to pay him on the tag next year. So that's going to be a really interesting development. There's so let, let me let me ask franchise. you this.
1: In terms of the players being released and all of that, do you think, because we've talked about this, I'll limit it to wide receivers, but you can do this at any position. Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster, like we've talked about the potential free agents. Do you think the potential class we're looking at right now is indicative of the class we're going to see, or do you think it's only the tip of the iceberg? At any position, I use wide receiver as an example, but, it, but overall at all the positions of all the players.
0: I would say tip of the iceberg because there's going to be a lot of veteran players. We've been talking a lot about JJ Watt. He's a guy that is going to be available this offseason. It might be via trade. It might not be, uh, you know, just a free agent. He, I don't think right. he will be released by the Texans, but he is going to be somebody that will be available. I think there's going to be a lot of players like that that are going to be for sale because of age and contract, you know, and these teams are just not going to be able to afford to keep them in the building with a $175 million cap, which I think is going to be a little bit higher than that. But we're not going to find out until very wee hours before the free agent market opens and the legally tampering period opens in March. So it's going to be a tight, tight shift that teams are going to have to run this year. And if you don't feel like you're a playoff team or you're not a team that can go on a run the year after and you have a veteran player that's making $15, $14 million a year, that guy becomes a potential cap casualty automatically just because of the way that the league has set up the cap this year. So it's definitely a, a fascinating free agent market upcoming because there's so many guys already that are going to be free agents. But again... Maybe in a different year, Juju Smith-Schuster gets tagged. Maybe Kenny Galladay gets tagged. Maybe Allen Robinson in Chicago gets tagged. You know, there's so many of these examples of these wide receivers that could hit the market this year that in other years, I just don't know if they would have, but they kind of have to because of the situation with the salary cap. Or even, I mean, I'll, I'll expand beyond that. Is it Bud Dupree?
1: from Pittsburgh,
0: and David in Tampa Bay
1: who are players Von the Miller major, could absolutely use. Right. Von Miller fits into this category too. Um I think you could also because you mentioned Von Miller and the, we don't know what's going to happen with the legal stuff with him. Right. But a guy like that, a guy although he no, he did win a Super Bowl. But you might have a chance where you get the 2002 Raiders effect. And I, I don't know how much people know about the 2002 Raiders, but very quickly, there's a reason like Jerry Rice, Warren Sapp, like all these guys are on the same team. Basically, uh, you had all these guys who either had never won or were trying to get one last ring. And, and the 2002 Raiders were basically a bunch of NFL veterans all got together and said, what if a bunch of old guys win a ring? What if we go give it one last shot before retirement? And I wonder if you can kind of get that effect with the Patriots. And that's the draw is you get enough guys where it's like, Oh yeah, there's going to be like a fun team. It's a bunch of veterans. So it's a bunch of guys my age and they, they'll have a shot. And, and this is one like good last shot of the ring. Put a young quarterback in the middle of that. That could be kind of fun. Um, so, so, so maybe get something like that. I'm trying, there was another linebacker, uh, pass rusher who scheduled. Oh, uh, Matt Judon. He's another guy, I think, to keep an eye on in terms of the Patriots because he'd be a fit. Normally, he's a lock to go back to Baltimore. The reports right now sound like he won't. So that's the guy, again, who like on a normal year, when I talk about Bill jacking up the roster in free agency, right? In a normal year, I don't think you can make the kind of additions he would need to make in free agency to make the team competitive. But there's just going to be so many talented players, and it's going to drive the price down of contracts.
0: And it's also the top – Players are gonna get paid because the cap will recover from this right. right you know fans will be allowed back in the stands and the cap will recover but that middle tier which is where bill Belichick's sweet spot is right those right. middle tier free agents they are going to sign a ton of one year deals i guarantee right? It. exactly a ton of one year deals bet on me that in the 2022 offseason when the cap goes back up over 200 million dollars that's when i'll be able to get my big contract so a lot of these guys that maybe had a little bit of a de- underwhelming 2020 season they're going to hit the free agent market this off season and you're going to see a lot of 1 year 9 million dollar deals for guys that you would have expected to get paid a whole lot more that's where the patriots can take advantage that's where they can get involved and, and maybe you're right maybe they can build a team of veterans with mac jones and mac jones is the little brother you know the the fifth child that that the parents had when they were in their 40s and maybe you can kind of bring him in here and, and, and maybe they can kind of grow, help him mature quickly and help him grow up quickly in the NFL and kind of carry him as he is, you know, your Tom Brady right. Light, you know, your 201 Brady Light. That, that's it's right. Like, Brady I mean, Brady
1: talks about all the time with guys like Seymour, what guys love. like Guinness, Rodney Harrison, like what all those guys did for, for his development. You're yeah. not going to be able to get all, like a bunch of players of that caliber. That was generational. But just just the the same concept, like that kind of mold. And I said this last offseason. I I wrote about it last offseason for 98.5 that the moves Bill is making mirror a lot of the moves he made before Brady emerged. Like the 2000 and 2001 offseasons, there's a lot of similarities between those two. So this does – like if if he does go out and kind of do what I'm projecting or, or what I'm saying he should do, like people think that that sounds crazy it's not he changed the way he operated once Tom Brady became Tom Brady there is precedent for what he did and he's back to following that pattern we'll see if he keeps following it but bill belichick people like to talk about bill belichick as predictable as unpredictable sorry and it's not so much that he's unpredictable he just thinks about things differently but when you do something as long as he's been coaching patterns are bound to develop and you can look at kind of what bill belichick does for instance um The first year was Stidham, and everybody thought they'd keep three quarterbacks, but the way they handled that situation with Hoyer was kind of the same thing they did after they drafted Jimmy, and that's how you knew Hoyer was going to get cut. That's a simple example, but there's patterns in what Bill Belichick does. Now, the context changes because he doesn't have Brady anymore, but if you go back to those off-seasons before he had Brady, the 2000 off-season, the 2001 off-season, and we'll throw 2002 in there as well because Brady didn't really... Brady's first full season, full training camp, 2002, that's when you really knew. So there are three off seasons of context for us to look at here of him operating without Brady. And he's operating very similarly. Uh, he did, if, if the truth be told that Brady knew he was going to leave before the 2019 season, how he's operated since then lines up with what he did when he first got to New England.
0: It does. And it's also interesting just thinking about the fact that those early 2000s teams this is such a great conversation about the culture of the Patriots and the Patriot way, and and, and kind of I want to get too far into all the stuff that Danny Amendola said and stuff like that, but those teams were built behind McGinnis and Seymour and Law and Malloy and Bruschi and those Troy Brown, you know, those those guys. Those guys. Brady was a rookie. You know, he he was your second-year quarterback. He wasn't the culture then. Maybe he was the culture eventually. Obviously, he took over those reigns and became the leader of the team. And maybe around 03, 04, 05, he started taking over as Tom Brady as we know him now. But in the beginning part of his career – it was those guys on defense that were the heart and soul of this team. And, and and maybe they can get back to that where it doesn't necessarily need to be the quarterback that is the guy, right? And I right. think today's NFL, we do get caught up a lot in chasing that, cerebral, un- insanely talented quarterback, the Patrick Mahomes, the Aaron Rodgers. You know, that's what everybody's going after. The Rams are a team that just did it, right? They traded their sort of right. pedestrian average quarterback, their trailer, to buy- to fi- try to find a truck, to try to find Matthew Stafford. And I think a lot of teams are sort of getting tricked into thinking that you have to go that route. You have to find Patrick Mahomes. You have to find Tom Brady. You have to find Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they just need Mac Jones. <laughs> Maybe right. they just need Marcus Mariota. Maybe they what? just need Jimmy G to be healthy for a season. Maybe that can work also, and I think that that's a great point. Let's move on to the Super Bowl right. because we could, we could talk about this for two hours. <laughs> I, I do need to shout out our sponsor at BetOnline.ag. The Super Bowl is here, and you can get in on all the action at BetOnline. Tampa Bay, the first team in history to play for the title on their home field, is currently a three-and-a-half-point underdog, Kansas City, looking for back-to-back titles for the first time in almost two decades, which is a GOAT against the next in line. BetOnline has hundreds of props on the game, including game MVP, margin of victory, and even length of the national anthem. I take the over every single time. Always available online on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code clns 50 to receive a fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. All right, Alex, the Super Bowl matchup. So I would you- say be, be careful taking the over
1: this year on the anthem. Because oh, you know okay. me, I'm a bit you know who's singing it, right?
0: Uh I don't. Who's singing it? Remind it's,
1: me. It's uh Eric Church and Jasmine Williams.
0: Okay, you know this a lot better than but I do. Though.
1: I'm a big Eric Church fan. I listen to a little Jasmine Williams, but I'm a big Eric Church fan. He's all business. Okay. He's not, he, I, maybe Jasmine Williams figures out a way to stretch it out, but uh, if it's up to Eric, they're going to be in and out. That's how he does it. So.
0: I, I bet the over in Super Bowl 53 it was Gladys Knight, remember? Uh, she did The it R&B
1: the, B singers, you always take the always over. Always hold that TV last note forever.
0: I've ever bet in my entire life because you just know that those ones, they're going to hold the notes. They're going to yeah. want to have that big finish. You know, uh, you knew that that was coming. Uh, do, do you have any love for the weekend at halftime, or are you going to uh, be you know eating snacks and drinking beers? I don't know. I've seen enough that
1: commercial, I will say. Uh, I don't know if the, the artist name is her or H E R. Um, but it's her, yes, it's her. Okay, so, yeah. so she was on SNL a couple months ago. She's yeah. amazing, great guitar player, voice is great, but amazing guitar player. And she's singing, uh, I think God Bless America. Got so, it. her, I'm, I'm excited, no pun I'm excited for her, no <laughs> pun intended. That that one, I think, I'm uh,
0: more excited for than The weekend. I feel like uh, The, the Weeknd is
1: really good on SNL.
0: They've killed it with that commercial. Like, like, the weekend could be a beautiful show, but they've just destroyed it playing that commercial over I miss good halftime shows.
1: I do. Nobody's ever going to top U2. U2,
0: you know, the Stones, you know, that that,
1: was great.
0: Right. That that was, that was the heyday. I I think that we need to get back to that as well, but. Speaking of kind of old-timers still uh, sure. playing at a high level, yeah. we can talk about Tom Brady here for a second. I want to talk about Tom Brady versus an old foe, Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Alex, I don't want to remind you like the reporters reminded Tom Brady yesterday that Steve Spagnuolo was the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants in Super Bowl Forty Two in 2007. Uh Famous upset. Tom Brady's career QBR in the four games. First of all, Tom Brady's one and three against Spagnola, win loss record wise. Obviously it's not just Spagnola, it's the other side of the ball too. But one and three again in games where he goes up against Spags. His teams are only averaging 20.3 points per game in those four games. Those are obviously well below Tom Brady's career averages. And I actually went back and pulled up the all 22 of the 07 Super Bowl. It killed me, but I did it. And the one thing that I came away from that I really was surprised about is when I remember the kind of takeaways from that game it was, oh, you know, their defensive line dominated, they rushed four, they dropped seven into coverage, Michael Strahan and those guys got after Brady, they didn't need to blitz, they didn't blitz him a ton, they only blitzed him about a fourth of the time but a lot of the things that they did up front was a lot more exotic than just putting four guys' hands in the dirt and having them rush on five offensive linemen Spagnola runs a lot of different types of simulated pressures, which means he puts a bunch of guys up at the line of scrimmage you don't know who's rushing, some guy's rush, some guys drop, and the one thing that he's really good at is when he blitzes, he knows that Brady's going to throw hot at the blitz so he drops the guy off the line of scrimmage right into the window that Brady wants to throw the ball. Brady threw two picks against the Blitz in the game in Week 12 of this season where he also had a pretty up-and-down game. They are able to put it together in the fourth quarter. But basically, a lot of signs here point to the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, unless they can really get after Patrick Mahomes and throw Mahomes off his game, are going to have a tough time keeping up with the Kansas City Chiefs in this game.
1: Yeah, so a lot of what you just said, a guy I'm kind of focusing on more and more is as we get into this game is Ryan Jensen, the Bucks center. And yeah. I have not I I the, the tackles have been good for Tampa. I don't know about you. I have been completely turned off to Ryan Jensen throughout this season. He started the season making a bunch of dumb penalties. Um he got benched at one point. He's come back. He he's just been wildly inconsistent and you you need that a center against that kind of defense. You need a guy who's going to, you know, the quarterback's ultimately the one reading the field, but the center's kind of, you know, the co-pilot in that and helping point out uh uh protections and communicating with the rest of the offense and all of that. And I don't know, is Ryan Jensen up to that challenge? I mean, he's clear he gets frustrated pretty easily. It's looked like at times this year and he's looked like he's in over his head at times. Remember Brady chewed him out uh early in the season. I, I want to say it was the bears game. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 it was it. So, you know, he's going to kind of have to play his best game of the year yeah. or for the Bucs to, to, to be able to move the ball with some consistency. And, you know, again, I don't feel great about Ryan Jetson. I feel bad that I'm just picking on this one guy who's a center who a lot of people probably don't know about, but I feel like every time I've walked, watched a Bucks game this year, at least once a quarter, I'm thinking like, who, who screwed up us, oh, Ryan Jetson?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a game, too, where Spagnola, he's a big uh, double-A gap mug front coach, which means he puts two gaps – two guys right in the A-gaps uh, on either side of the center, and those guys can blitz, they can drop off, they can do a bunch of different things from those looks, and he's going to put two guys right on e- each shoulder of Ryan Jensen, and Ryan Jensen is going to have to figure out which way to pop, right? Do you go left or right. do you go right? And you sort of have to read the blitz, and Brady's so good at reading the blitz, but the problem is, is that Brady's only as good as the other ten guys at reading the blitz, right? right? And that's one thing that Kansas City did in that matchup, where really it wasn't until the fourth quarter, Brady figured it out sort of in garbage time, and the Chiefs kind of let off the gas, which is not they 're not going to do that in a Super Bowl, and it sort of made the game look closer than it was it was twenty seven ten I believe yeah twenty seven ten going into the fourth quarter, they ended up twenty seven twenty four because Brady put together two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter, and Kansas city 's offense kind of let off the gas. And you look at what Spagnola has done in the past, is he can really confuse the team up front. And that's exactly what happened in that Super Bowl in, in 42. And on top of that, similar to 42, this Bucks team wants to throw the football down the field. They want to air it out. They want Brady to be throwing deep shots. And if you can't protect him, then he's not going to be able to throw it down the field. And he's not going to be able to throw those deep shots. And I think that that's a big sort of game within the game here, is can Brady get himself, his offensive line, his receivers. There was a play really early on in Week 12 where they put Antonio Brown in the backfield, and they had him run a wheel route up the sideline, and the Chiefs sent a zero blitz at them and brady threw hot to antonio brown and antonio brown never looked for the football because he didn't know he was hot right because he didn't realize recognize the blitz was coming things like that brady then there's a uh, actually back-to-back plays on that same opening drive first one wheel route antonio brown doesn't look for the football second one brady has chris godwin open on a little whip route he ends up trying to throw a back shoulder ball to mike evans uh ladaria sneed breaks it up they get off the field on third down Tampa Bay ends up punting those types of pressure looks blitzing their safeties blitzing guys off the line of scrimmage doing different things to confuse the protections up front because yeah maybe Brady will see it but can he get the ball out in time enough and then Last but not least, Spagnola, really, really good, like I said, at dropping guys into those blitzing windows, right? So they'll have a free rusher off the end. They know Brady's going to see that free rusher and throw right at him, right behind him, because the safety off the line of scrimmage is 12 yards off. So what he does is he takes a linebacker on the line of scrimmage, drops him right into that window, right underneath it. And it went doink right off the guy's helmet and straight up in the air in week 12. And Tyron Matthew picked up, picked it off a little pop up off the guy's helmet because he was just running into that throwing lane. So Spags definitely has Brady's number. I I don't think that this is uh any sort of hot take to say that Steve Spagnola, you go one and three against the same defensive coordinator and your all your averages across the board are way below your career averages. I think it's safe to say that he has his number and if you go up against Patrick Mahomes, everybody's kinda hyping my whole point here is everybody's kind of hyping this up as Brady versus Mahomes, but Brady's got to keep pace with Mahomes. Brady's got to be able to score enough points to be able to keep up with Mahomes and Going up against Spags is probably one of the worst draws he could have gotten in this scenario. And just to go over to
1: Mahomes real quick, everybody's talked about the offensive line injuries for the Chiefs, but they've kind of been dealing with that all year, and they've survived. The injuries on that side of the ball I'm looking at, and I think I talked about this last week, but Tampa's going in. If they have their two starting safeties, they're both going to be playing hurt. I I think the expectation right now is Winfield plays. I think Whitehead's up in the air. Um, But if they both play, they're playing hurt. That's nightmare fuel against the Kansas City Chiefs. It is, and the reality is, you can say, "Well, the offensive line is banged up. Will Mahomes have time to take advantage of that?" He he will, because he's Patrick Mahomes, and he will. And whether it's with he's his legs, legs or it's his quick release or whatever, they will find ways to make sure he has time to take advantage of that. So, like you said, when it comes to keeping up with Mahomes, you know, I think the Chiefs score forty in this game. Yeah. I, I feel very confident the Chiefs score forty in this game. Do the Bucks score forty in this game? Maybe. That's the question. I think the magic number is, is like, they got it. They, they're going to have to score, you know, I think 42, 43 points to have a shot at this thing.
0: Well, that would be completely uncharacteristic of Steve Spagnola to give up 40 points to Tom right. Brady. You know, Tom Brady's high career high against Spags in those four games is 27. That was the win in week, uh, week 10 of 2015 when Spags went back to the Giants 27-26. That game, I, I feel like though you mentioned the Chiefs offensive line injuries, this is an area where we should be talking about this because starting at left left tackle probably for Kansas City on Sunday is going to be Mike Remmers against Shaq Barrett and JPP. He's going to be a turnstile. He was a turnstile against Von Miller in the 2015 Super Bowl when he's with Carolina starting at tackle there, and Von Miller just absolutely ate him up that entire game and won Super Bowl MVP off that game. I feel like that is something that we can discuss is can this Kansas City team get away with the fact that their tackle play is not going to be good enough against this, this, uh, Bucks front. This Bucks front should dominate this, you know, very, very banged up Chiefs offensive line. But what the Chiefs can do and what I think they will do is on first and second down, they are going to RPO the crap. Out of the bucks. And the Chiefs are a very heavy RPO team. And I'm not just throwing that out because it's a buzzword. They lead the league in RPO percentage. They do it more than any other team in the NFL. And what it allows them to do is it allows them to get guys vertical, but it also allows the ball to get out of Patrick Mahomes' hands quickly. And it holds those defenders, right? Because they got to sit yeah. in their run gaps. It's a like a play action pass. They have to sit in those run gaps for an extra pause, so they're not getting after the quarterback. And Kansas City's playmakers, especially Tyra Kill and McCole Hardman, they're so damn fast that they can still get up on a vertical even though they're going to get the ball out quickly under two and a half seconds on the RPO action they can still get vertical which is you know unbelievable and Mahomes he reads in our most RPOs you read the backside linebacker. That's usually the guy that the quarterback's reading. If he comes and steps up into his gap, you throw it. If he stays back in the passing lane, you hand it off. Mahomes will read corners. He'll read deep safeties in RPO actions. And the Bucks like to play those two deep shells. And if those safeties start to creep into the box on those RPOs, and he's going to zing it right past them to, to Tyree Kill. I, I, and I think that that's going to be the game within the game is – What's Todd Bowles' adjustment to those RPO packages? Because that's where the Chiefs are going to go on first and second down. But I feel like, you know,
1: so what's his adjustment going to be? It has to be to not blitz, right? That's, that's not his MO,
0: but that's what he's going to have to do,
1: right? But and, and you just said it, but that's what he wants to do. And this is we did talk about this last week, where if you want to win a game in the NFL with a less talented roster, you have to recognize the fact and approach the game with the fact that you are not the better team in the matchup. And can Todd Bowles recognize that? Can he look at it and say? Because on one hand, you want it—you want to be in the mindset of "dance with the one who brung you," right? Right. You got this far doing what you do. It's just another game. You don't want to change what you're doing, and that should be the Chiefs' approach. But if you're Tampa, you need to recognize that you have a different kind of opponent on the other side of the football. And you may need to do some things differently. You may need to do some things you're uncomfortable with. You may need to do some things that are severe tendency breakers. I don't think Bruce Arians does that on the offensive side of the football because he hasn't
0: done it all year. Even when he's That's my biggest fear if I'm a Bucks fan or if I'm a Brady fan, Patriot fan rooting for the Bucks. Does Bruce Arians have the wherewithal to realize that if I just run four verticals all day long? They're going to blitz the crap out of us like they did in week 12. They blitz Brady 50% of the time in week 12. And Brady, yards per attempt against the blitz was 7.0. When they didn't blitz, it was 10, right? That's a pretty big difference. So they know from last game that if they continuously blitz Brady, that the chemistry and the continuity of this Bucks offense is not there yet for them to be able to throw hot, throw hot, throw hot successfully. It's going to be a little bit up and down if you can – effectively blitz and they really put the running backs in conflict too a ton the Chiefs did and those running backs Ronald Jones Leonard Fournette they weren't up for it they weren't up for picking up blitzes Tyron Matthew comes crashing in they weren't up to block him right so that's definitely an area where they can take advantage Bruce Arians though does he throw the ball in the middle of the field can they get the short middle passing game? What we saw with the Patriots for so many years was they would beat the blitz. They would beat pressure by running guys over the ball into the middle of the field and just getting the ball out of Brady's hands quickly. Can Will they adjust? Will they make that adjustment? They got two weeks to do it. And the one thing that they did do is they did start to go under center a little bit more. They did have to start to run those intermediate crossing routes a little bit more later in the season. But I'm talking about those quick hitting routes in that, Five to ten yard area in the middle between the numbers. That's how they are going to be able to beat these blitz packages and these exotic looks. If they don't do that, then they're going to be in trouble because it's going to look all, it's going to look exactly like 07. It's going to look exactly like 07. Brady trying to hold the ball in the pocket, waiting for Mike Evans to get down the field, waiting for Gronk to get down the field, and it's going to be a whole lot of pressure in his face. Was JPP on that 07 Giants team? I know he was on the yeah, eleven or JPP, but they had a was, obviously Strahan was the was the big name yeah, on that defensive line. I don't. Line. Uh, I don't I they did, had an O.C. Yeah, O.C. Umanura. Okay, Umanura. I couldn't remember Umanura. JPP
1: was a rookie that year because he was there in
0: thirteen. Yes, I. I he got hurt in that game. Eleven. I mean, yeah. eleven. Yes,
1: eleven. Yeah, he got hurt in that game. But
0: Justin yeah. Tuck might have been there already. He might have been a young, a young. boy. Oh, I think I'd, you're right.
1: Yeah, because that was that was the NASCAR defense, right? Is what they called that.
0: Right. So yeah. they they really will get after Brady in this game. And if you're Bruce Arians, if you run your four verticals and you run your deep crossers and you run all the th- things that they like to run, uh, this Chiefs defense is going to be ready for it. And I don't think the Chiefs defense has the best personnel. I, I think that the Bucks can over out talent this Chiefs defense, but. It's going to be the scheme and I, I'm just really fascinated to see if Bruce Arians has the wherewithal and Todd Bowles has the, I think Bowles will have it on defense. I, I don't know if Arians and Byron Leftwich are going to change what they do. I, I really don't. And I think that if you get into a game with Kansas City where you're trying to out four verticals them, you know, you're going deep shots to deep shots, and then Kansas City is going to win that matchup every single time. Right. It kind of can't be a shoot at,
1: but again, it goes, right. it goes back to what I said before. Like, can Bruce Arians recognize that he's not a game plan coach? This isn't like when Brady's with the Patriots. And right. You know, I think a lot of Patriots fans just think when you go into a game, everything's on the table and you do what you, what you think works best to stop your opponent. Not every football team operates that way. The majority of them don't. Most teams have an identity and that's their identity for better or worse. And they ride with it because they're built to do one thing. Being a game plan team is part of what made Brady and the Patriots so effective for 20 years. He's not on a game plan team anymore. This isn't a game plan offense. They are going to do what they are going to do. They are going to keep banging their head against the wall, and something's going to break. It might be the wall. It might be their head, but that's what they're going to do. And unless Bruce Arians for the first time in his life decides to dink and dunk, get ready for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, in that game, like I said, they were able to put together those two garbage time touchdowns to make the score look more respectable than it was. But you get into that situation again against Kansas City. Kansas City is not stopping at 27 in the Super Bowl, right? right? You know, they're ringing, they're running up the score. I think we'll wait to pick the game until Thursday, but just a really fascinating X's and O's matchup that I wanted to break down because this is uh, two guys in Spagnola and Brady that are very familiar with each other. And you gotta think, you gotta think that Brady's going into the meeting room last Week when they're starting to put together a game plan and saying, Bruce, I played this guy before in a Super Bowl. He's going to come after me, and we have to have something ready for it. We can't just let me sit back there and wait for Randy Moss to get sixty yards down the field so I can throw a bomb. You know, Mike's not going to have enough time to get down there this time. You know, we're not going to be able to run that type of offense. He's going to be able to get pressure on me, and I'm going to have to be able to find my answers and get the ball out quickly. And does Bruce Arians have a page in the playbook to pull out that they are able to do that? Right, I, that's going to be a big right. question in this well, game, and has been all year, really, for the Bucks, and they've been able to sort of out talent it and kind of just outlast it, right? right, and just sort of do it anyways and get away with it. Uh, th- this is the one team that you might not be able to get away with it. Exactly, and and let me ask you this, because um, I,
1: you know, obviously last year the Chiefs they faced a great defense in in they the did. Niners, and I, I mean, the Bucks defense is good, but we both agree the Niners defense is better, right?
0: It's better. I think this Bucks defense is really good too, though. It's, it's good, but the, so my yeah. point is the
1: Chiefs put up 31 last year. Yeah. On the Niners defense, 21 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So you better have something different if you're the Tampa Bay defense. Cause again, I threw that magic number, like the low forties out. That's kind of where that's coming from. Is the, you said the Buccaneers defense is good. Is it within 10 points of that Niners
0: defense? I don't know. Well, the I biggest probably, probably about no. defense in week twelve was they got they didn't play a ton of man coverage in that game, but they played man coverage like. Ten or eleven times, and Tyree Kill caught a seventy-five yard touchdown, got a forty-five yard touchdown against man coverage, and just smoked them on the couple of times where they went to that. He just sort of, you know, took advantage and exposed it. So what they really like to do, and what they did mostly in that game in the regular season, was play quarters, play cover four and, and play four deep, or then occasionally rotate one of the safeties into the box and get into a three deep structure. But I think the biggest thing that they're gonna have to to do is they are going to have to live with Patrick Mahomes checking the ball down against zone and the game plan that I would go back to if I was the Bucks, if, if I wanted to really change this defensive structure from what they did in week 12 which they got away with it because they only scored 27 points but again that game really wasn't that close right Go back and look at what Bill Belichick did to Patrick Mahomes in week four when the Patriots played the Chiefs. It's a whole lot of zone coverage, a whole lot of very, very deep zone coverage. And what they did is they played man-match, which means they're going to match you on verticals, but then if you run across the field, they pass those off to the safeties. So the safeties are going to stay in the middle of the field, look to buzz to those crossing routes. When they cross across the field, they just cut them off, right? And they just have a guy right. standing right there in his way. So it's not uh, Carlton Davis – in a foot race with Tyra Kill across the field. He's got a safety on the other side coming over to cut him off. That's what the Bucks really should do. I think the Patriots played the Chiefs' passing game better than anybody in Week 4. That was one of the better defensive performances against any team that the Chiefs had uh, this year. And that's sort of the game plan, I think, against Kansas City is you have to force and he might do it anyways because he's just really good, but you have to force Patrick Mahomes to dink and dunk. You have to force him to dink and dunk. And you have to throw force him to throw the ball underneath. And you have to force him to be patient. Because the only way he still might score thirty one on you. But at least you're in the game at thirty one. You're not getting the game yeah. at forty. I and I think some of it too is you have to you have to
1: let him know you're there. And I think with the dink and dunk, you have to force Mahomes to go elsewhere with the ball. Don't let and this is right out of the Belichick playbook. Don't let what they do best beat you, right? I think you you focus on Tyree Kill with help over the top. I think you use maybe your best coverage guy on Travis Kelsey and and take him away. And the important thing is when those guys come over the middle, let them know you're there. That's something else. And the Patriots have been doing this against the yeah. Chiefs since back in 2018. Yeah. If you kind of hit Travis Kelsey in the mouth, right? You know, maybe in the first quarter you, you come you come a little late when you, you come a little late in him when he's coming over the middle. Maybe you take a penalty there, but you hit Travis Kelsey in the mouth a couple of times. He's going to turtle. Tyree Kill not quite, but he's a smaller guy. If you knock him around, he's going to start to feel that. It's going to start to affect him. I'm not saying cheap shots, like you don't do that, especially not in the Super Bowl. You don't do that. But there's a way you can play physical and let those guys know you're there within the rules. This is what the Patriots did against the Rams in 2001, right? Hit him when they have the ball. Hit him when they don't. That you've got to, especially Travis Kelsey, if you're Tampa, whether it's Levante David in the middle of the field, whether it's Antoine Winfield, whether it's Whitehead, whoever's in the middle of the field when Travis Kelsey runs that five yard in or that, that, that five to seven yard curl, you got to let him know you're there. Yeah. Because he will eventually, that that five yard in will become a three yard in, and that cut will get a little less crisp because he's going to be looking over his shoulder to see where that next hit hit is coming from.
0: Yeah, the Patriots love to high low Travis Kelsey, so they'll put a guy right on on him at the line of scrimmage, quick jam him right at the line. Dante Hightower sometime would do it just boom, right at the line of scrimmage, let him get off the line at that point and then have somebody behind Dante Hightower to take him in coverage, right? That's when you have to break down with him. And that's a really good strategy against Kelsey because I know Chiefs fans might hear this and they're going to come after me. Travis Kelsey will turtle. Travis oh, Kelsey is a little turtle. If you hit him enough early on in the game, he will disappear. Now, he might make some plays for you at the end of the game, and he might come back and, and get loose a couple of times. you got to stay on him. You can't yeah. just, you kind know, of oh, he's out of the game and let him go. You have right. to stay on him. But Right, but if yeah. you get physical with Travis Kelsey, you hit him at the line of scrimmage, you hold him up, you impede his routes, you make sure that you're in his face all the time, he is not a type of guy that likes contact. He just isn't. He's not one of those types of players. And you can mitigate what he can do that way. Now, is it a foolproof? No, he's still a really good player and he can still get loose. But if you do that, then you have a much better chance, much, much better chance at stopping him than if you let him run free all game long. And you cannot let him get a free release. If you're Tampa Bay, you got to get somebody in his face, have Levante David, have Devin White, somebody just over him every single time. Just whenever he's in line, whenever they bring him into the line of scrimmage, there should be somebody quick jamming him at the line of scrimmage every single time. Alright, uh, this, this is over an hour plus per usual. We're gonna have more Super Bowl talk on Thursday. We're gonna pick the game on Thursday. Maybe we talk about a few prop bets as well. Alex, uh, thanks as always. This is always a great time. We're gonna keep this rolling all off season. So make sure to check out Alex on 985.com, uh, real Alex. 985 sports.com. Oh, excuse me, 985thesportshub.com. Does somebody else have 985.com? Is that? I, all- I don't know. I, I only got there a year ago. I don't that's know. It was so- already
1: established at that point.
0: <laughs> Some smart guy bought 985.com when they're in the- radio Do you have was- a link that's only numbers? Maybe not. Maybe that's the secret. There you go. There you go. So 985 sportshub.com, real Alex no. Barth on Twitter. I'm at Easy Lazar on Twitter. Obviously, you know, CLNSmedia.com. And we will be back on Thursday doing a and a style, Super Bowl prop bets, uh, pick the game like I mentioned. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening.